You're listening to the ProcureTech Podcast, your weekly show for all that's cooking in the digital procurement space. Yes, we've got the hottest startups, thought leadership and conversation from visionary industry experts and definitely no stiff corporate content. I'm your host, James Meads, procurement pro, digital nomad and ProcureTech fanboy. And now here's this week's show. Yes, hello and welcome to another episode of the ProcureTech Podcast, where every session we bring you everything that is fun and exciting in the digital procurement space. And this episode is actually the last in our mini-series talking to industry thought leaders, experts and influencers on how digital procurement technology is impacting their little niche that they sit in in the procurement world. And for this episode, we're going all the way to the other side of the world and going to Australia, where my guest today actually has his own procurement school. And his procurement school actually has a very noble mission, and that is to make procurement education more affordable to students who traditionally would not be able to afford some of the more established certifications that's out there. And I'm sure he's going to tell us a lot more about this as part of our interview. But first of all, I would like to extend a warm welcome to Nolan McCarmanson from Nolan's School of Procurement. Welcome, Nolan. Thank you so much, James. It's so lovely to be here with you on Procure on the Procured Tech podcast. Thank you so much. It's lovely to have, for you to have me here. Thank you. And I actually got to meet some of your, or virtually meet some of your students back in April when, when I did a webinar as part of, as part of one of these procurement classes that you do. Just tell people a little bit about what it is, the mission, you know, and what you aim to do, because I, I think the certification and what you're doing is, you know, quite different to some of the more traditional methods and routes that people have you know, traditionally gone down to get an education in this space. Well, James, look, thank you. Thank you so much. And um, I think basically uh, I do remember you speaking at our leadership course at the Nolan School of Procurement Leadership course a few months ago, and you spoke very, very well. Thank you so much. James, I think uh, my journey really began um, when I had, uh, I'll start off when I'd been working in procurement for about 15 years as a, as a senior buyer, uh, predominantly in the Australian government. And while the work was uh, obviously uh, a really engaging work and nicely paid, et cetera, and gave me a very strong sense of stability, um, it wasn't really touching my soul, James. When I, you can hear from my accent, I'm originally from South Africa. Um, as a kid, um, I got quite involved in uh, African social issues. Uh, this is back in the uh, the 1980s and 1990s, showing my age over here. And I was been trying to figure out for several years, James, how to synthesize and combine what I currently do in my career with with community outreach. And one afternoon, I think it was one day, I was uh, finishing work on a Friday, and I. Was was walking down the street and it suddenly hit me that the way to combine community outreach and procurement um, would be to start my own school. 
And uh, we, we've been in business now for approximately three years, just going on three years. And one of the, the values of my school, what I'm trying to tap into is the, the fact that a lot of our students who are living in, uh, in uh, communities out in places like Africa and the Middle East, you know, developing societies where people are either living too far um, at distance from an urbanized, uh, an urbanized settlement where they can come in and get education. Um, and also one of the other, um, I guess, barriers to entry is the price of traditional education, James. So I spotted that gap in the market, and uh, and that's how and why I got into, I guess, uh, um, a procurement school. And that's a very good reason for doing it, because you know there are two things that you hit on, not not just price, because you know we know that some of these certifications are expensive, but as you say, just access to it, and you know even in in its simplest form, with what you're doing, doing webinars over Zoom, you know that's leveraging technology that. 10 years ago wouldn't really have been possible. I mean, I know Skype was around 10 years ago, but it wasn't really reliable and it was more really for one-on-one meetings rather than doing group webinars. And this, this, has, certainly, this has certainly grown and got better as, uh, as, well, as broadband's got better, but also as more competition has come out there on the market to be able to, to facilitate that. But I think if we, if we do look at these sort of more emerging markets like you know, Africa and the Middle East or Latin America for anyone that's maybe listening from the Spanish-speaking part of the world. One of the things that I think technology is going to have a big impact on there is that, you know, a lot of business process outsourcing that has traditionally been done in some of these markets, the more entry-level positions are going to be automated in future. You know, if you think of, you know, how much of the procure-to-pay process or even how much of the sourcing process to a certain extent can be can be automated these days and a lot of the number crunching around getting data and spend analytics too so how does that impact your business you know obviously on the with the backdrop that the people that you're getting as students will probably not be classically educated in corporate compliance and and ways of working than someone in a western society might be how do you then marry that against the backdrop of the fact that technology is impacting our profession at breakneck speed right now? And even though, you know, the ones that have really embraced technology are still some of the early adopters, most big companies now have to some extent done some digitization. James, it's, it's such an interesting question. And, you know, it really goes back to a, a concept called the digital divide. And uh, as we know, the divide between between the haves and the haves not, in other words, people living in affluent uh, develop, developed countries uh, where people um, have access to good quality education, um, you know, decent salaries, a, a high level standard of, uh, of, uh, of living, um, is vastly, vastly different from the world in which many of my students live, you know, in places like, for example, uh, Western and, and Central Africa and East Africa, and uh, certain parts of the Middle East uh, that are not particularly high tech, they are facing very different challenges. Now, James, when I started the school, you know, I really, um, I, I had a really, really good look at um, at the, the digital divide, and I asked myself, how am I going to figure out a way to to close that gap for students that are facing, you know, technological challenges that that we living in the developed world can only, you know, imagine. 
things that we may take for granted. For example, um, having electricity in one's house, right? So some of my students, for example, you know, before we even start, James, before we even start talking about uh, emerging and cutting edge tech, we need to look at the basics. And many of my students um, that come into, for example, our Sunday webinars, because we, we run free webinars every Sunday, they have to put literally like a parking meter, they have to put money in the electricity box inside their apartment. Otherwise, Otherwise, they're not going to get light, electricity and Wi-Fi, right? So, you know, you, you sort of get a sense of how different is in the um, developing world. The other thing is the implications of, of technology on, on that world and on procurement. Um, from a social procurement point of view, it's pretty profound. Firstly, um, a lot of people, as we said, have a problem with distance. People live all over um, Africa in places where often there isn't, you know, um, there's no broadband in many of many of the, the urban and in the regional um, areas in Africa, there's no broadband. There isn't even wireless um, in some parts of the of the continent, so people are facing massive challenges just getting access to basic things like uh, getting online and checking their email. So when I developed my school, um, one of the constraints that I had to think about was you know students not having access to regular electricity, um, electricity shutting down, you know not having access to PCs. Most of these students are learning; all their learning is happening from from mobile phones. So there are there are huge constraints and huge challenges that I had to deal with in terms of technology. So for many of my students, of course, you know, it's a it's a very, very different world, James, from the from the kind of way that we utilize tech to push innovation and efficiency here in procurement in the in the developed world. Yeah, and I, I want to touch on one specific point of your answer there, Nolan, and that's what you mentioned about smartphones, because you know I've I've read as well. I mean I, I've been to I've been to South Africa. I've not, and, and I've spent some time in in Nigeria as well in in the past. And one thing that I found was that you're, you're absolutely right. You know, people don't have PCs and they do absolutely everything on their smartphones. But with that being said, the speed of mobile internet there is is actually pretty good. And I was speaking to a gentleman a few weeks ago, actually from Kenya, and he was saying that you know there, there is you know lightning fast internet via via mobile in Kenya. So it's, you know, yes, there are problems with blackouts in a lot of these countries and access to stable grid electricity, but the mobile network is often superior to that and certainly a lot cheaper than, than in many Western countries, right? If I may comment on that, because I think you've raised a really good point over here. And James, I'll give you a good case study in, in just a few moments, a few seconds. Papua New Guinea, uh, which is obviously a country uh, very close to where I live here in Australia, PNG, never really had a, a well-developed copper pots, you know, the plain old telephone system, never really had a, a good copper infrastructure. Certainly um, in the cities, in Port Moresby and the capital, they had it, but up in the in the highlands, it was very challenging to get uh, telephone services and by implication to get, uh, to get data services as well. So this is an example of a country that went straight to wireless technology, was adopted uh, cheap mobile phone handsets, straight to 3G and uh, 3G internet. And that is a, a good example. And that is what, as you said, has happened across a lot of Africa. I'm um, just using uh, the country of Kenya as an example, you know, in places like Nairobi in the capital um, or in the smaller towns like Mombasa and Kisumu, obviously they have, uh, they have fiber out there and they have... Uh, you know, they still got, uh, they've got lines 
are out there. But when you get out into the countryside, it's really all wireless territory. So yes, it sort of uh, seems to have skipped um, a generation of uh, technology into straight into wireless. Hey, so just a quick interlude to let you know about procurementsoftware.site. This is a new website that I recently launched to give you, the listener, a free-to-access intuitive guide to digital procurement technology. You can filter on a multitude of different criteria and pick out a short list of procurement software solutions that are relevant to your business and your needs in less time than it takes to boil an egg. No corporate subscriptions, no complex jargon, and definitely no pay-to-play model. We are a completely transparent, open book, and we really want to get your feedback on what we can really do to make this user experience better and constantly improve so as we're providing value to you. Check out procurementsoftware.site. And now let's get right back to this week's podcast. So if we assume that you know they're not going to skip back and 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 develop and and you know they're not they're not all going to rush out and buy PCs and and go and go down some of the older sort of more traditional routes of of getting online if we assume and i think it's a reasonably fair assumption that you know remote work or hybrid work is going to become a global phenomenon and people are going to more and more perform their work from from home when we look back at procurement technology and let's take you know let's take some of the more simple procurement technology like like sort like source to pay or uh, or, or e-sourcing technology you know we're probably not going to see african public sector deploying you know ai and machine learning in 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 all areas of their of of, of their operations but if we take very basic procurement software source to pay software Anything that wants to market to, to those countries, and it's a huge untapped market, it's going to have to be very easy, Amazon-esque, mobile-friendly, isn't it? Absolutely, James. I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, we're not going to see um, on-prem software. We're going to see everything as a service. We're going to see Internet of Things. We are going to see mobile technology moving forwards and less reliance on, on large clunky hardware like PCs. And the implication, of course, on that is that people living at distance from an, ur- from an urban settlement um, will have an opportunity to become employed. Because in the past, obviously, living in a village or in a rural or remote area was an economic death sentence. Today, if you've got wireless technology and you have a mobile phone, you can pretty much log into uh, to whatever system you're using. And as long as the software allows, you could do some work from home. And that would obviously include uh, online meetings. Um, and my, as I, as I said at the beginning, earlier on in this talk, you know, my school is based on the premise that we can reach students out there um, in, in rural areas. So this technology allows that to happen without the mobile, without the jump to mobile, without the prolific adoption of mobile, I would never have been able to reach all the students that I reach across across the developing world. So with that in mind, and then the obvious, the other elephant in the room that I think about with some of these more emerging, mar- emerging markets is corruption and fraud. Let's look at how do you think technology will be able to positively impact 
companies or procurement teams in in these markets that are that are struggling against stakeholder and internal corruption and fraud, but at the moment they don't have the means and the mechanisms to to control that at large, other than doing you know manual investigations through uh, through individual instances. James, I think uh, I think one of the wa- one of the many ways in which the world has changed so phenomenally um, over over the last few decades um, is the advent of digital technologies in combating things like corruption, fraud, probity issues, and and the latest scourge, which is which is the talk of procurement these days, modern slavery. Now, uh, limitations there, the limitations of the past, in my mind, included one. Um, a lack of search functionality. You know, we take, James, we take things like Google, applications like Google, so for granted today, it's so easy for us to flip on a device in our home, a, a laptop, a tablet, a mobile phone, and if we need to know something, we just jump online onto Google or Bing or another another search engine application, and it's spoon-fed to us with such ease. Um, I uh, remember a time where I needed to go to a library um, to get information, and that is just not the world anymore, right? So that's the one thing, the search functionality. The other thing is the enormous adoption of social media across the world, right? So there's nowhere to hide. Um, even, even in the most remote parts of the world, really, in terms of the reach of social media, there's nowhere to hide. And, and when one combines, you know, the search functionality that is available by mobile phone to, to pretty much um, most people on the planet, combined with uh, social media, that allows people to have the kind of cap- capability to reach out and conduct work from remote locations and, and really conduct fairly in-depth deep dives into, into problems like corruption. Also, you know, just the basic things like uh, procurement policies and, and, and intranets, procurement policies and procurement processes being able to be stored online and accessed and retrieved um, remotely from having to go into a physical office, things like that. Um, the digital age certainly has allowed people to reach out and uh, to be able to do things like work from home. Um, I think that's a really amazing capability and that kind of, you know, kind of tech you know, 15 years ago, it was it was largely non-existent. Yeah, and social media is an interesting one, actually. I'll, I'll, I'll dig into that a little bit because in the last series of the podcast, I actually interviewed a startup founder who, Prewave was the name of the company. They're from, they're from Austria. They have a tool that uses AI to essentially scrape and listen in on social media accounts and news sources in, in the native language that, that's been written about. So you, you mentioned mo- modern slavery. That's a, a great example or, or child labor. You know, if the, if there is a, if there is a scandal in, let's say a textile factory in Bangladesh, for example, or in a cobalt mine in the Congo, and that's been written about locally on social media channels or in local newspapers, a, a compliance department or a, or, or an investigative department of a large corporate probably wouldn't be aware of that until the proverbial Hits the fan and it gets and, and and it gets reported on in the Western media. But if if technology can scour local news sources and pick up on that faster, it also allows that brand or that company to have you know a lot more protection around their name that they're not going to get embroiled in these scandals. Or if they do, that they that they acknowledge them and get out of them pretty quickly. Absolutely, James. You know, it's kind of like a you know there are three elements. Um, in, 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 in combating, uh, you know, scourges like corruption and modern slavery in the modern era. 
The, the one thing that we need, three things. The first thing is, is a mobile device. The second thing is, a, is an application, a search, search functionality application. And the third is social media. When you combine these three things together, you put a lot of power into the hands of, of what we might call ordinary people. Now, James, just briefly, you mentioned uh, modern slavery and, you know, there are some really cutting-edge, fabulous tools out there um, in terms of combating modern slavery. And, and one of the things, one of the unfortunate things in this world that you mentioned was cobalt mining, where we have millions of children involved in digging in very dangerous conditions for cobalt when they should be, you know, at school getting a formative education. But the great thing about technology is that it doesn't only require the absolute cutting edge. So, for example, in Australian government, in the UK government and, and other, and other uh, governments around the world, we are seeing not necessarily only cutting edge um, anti-modern slavery tools and, and mechanisms and instruments, but also some simple things that people can adopt when they don't have access to a lot of high-tech um, equipment back at home, right? So, for example, having an ethical supplier questionnaire in their tenders and, and you know, having conditions about, uh, you know, modern slavery, relating to modern slavery uh, in the tender documents, in the contract documents, these things are all digital and these will go a long way to, uh, to helping eradicate modern slavery. So it's not always, you know, cutting edge AI, uh, but just some simple um, mechanisms and tools that can be used um, in the digital space. And I think that's fabulous because, you know, not everyone will have access and certainly not all governments and large corporates in the developing world will have access to that kind of software. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you hit, you, you touch on a, on a raw nerve for me as well, that it's not necessarily about how many features a piece of technology has. It's about what problem does it solve and how easy is it to use and to implement? And if, if you've got, you know, an easy to use tool that can be implemented within a couple of days and is able to solve a lot of pain points or challenges of an, that an organization hitherto wasn't able to fix, then, you know, it's a no brainer, isn't it? In terms of, you know, return on investment through both the productivity and the, and, and the cost saving or cost avoidance that it could, uh, that it could deliver. Yeah. So, the, the last thing that I wanted to ask you, Nolan, was to what extent do you think technology is going to be the driver in elevating our profession? You know, especially if we take it in your view of the world, you know, speaking to a lot of buyers and purchasing managers within emerging markets, how much do you think tech is going to be a driver behind this? You know, be, will it, or will it even, you know, prevent them from seeking emigration because they can now work remotely? I think that's also a really important factor. James, that's a, that's a rather interesting question. You know, when I think about drivers and outcomes, uh, those outcomes, you know, traditionally when we talk about the outcomes of, 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 of drivers used in procurement, we're looking at outcomes like efficiency, you know, cost avoidance and, and systems. But as this talk has, has touched on, on the social nature, the social aspects of procurement, and as we become, you know, more conscious and more aware of our global impact um, as procurement people, we should be thinking about uh, outcomes to do with social procurement, right? Because look, obviously there's there's new tech, there's new software every day, new procure-to-pay applications out there that are creating wonderful efficiencies and, you know, um, you know, bringing lean manufacturing to places where traditionally that would never have existed. Um, as we said, uh, you know, cost avoidance and better systems. But 
um, one of the things that we don't really look at enough, in my opinion, you know, it's where our grace is, James. It's where we as procurement people find grace because we're not just all about cost avoidance. It's about social and making the world a better place. And particularly in reference to things like, you know, we mentioned modern slavery. This is where we can actually take procurement, you know, the digital side of procurement. We can use it to employ people who otherwise would be living, uh, you know, a very poor life in a, in a rural or remote village. You know, um, it's a way of educating people out in the sticks, you know, who perhaps uh, travel very far every day to get back, from, you know, to and from work and may not have the levels of energy to go and study, you know, in a full-time urban environment after work. It's also, you know, and it's also, of course, uh, uh, in terms of social procurement, it's, you know, it's an opportunity to get companies to think about their policies and think about, you know, for example, do they have a domestic violence policy at work? Do they have, um, you know, social uh, social procurement in their policies in the organisation to stimulate and uplift small businesses and 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 that type of thing? So I think that that one of the of the great drivers over here, you know, is pushing to towards social procurement. That's what that was what I think. And there's certainly a ton of platforms and, and software that, that are coming on the market now that tackle all different various aspects of ESG, whether that's you know sustainability, whether it's like you say, governance around around modern slavery and and, and, and eradicating some of the issues in, in supply chains that have historically been you know very difficult to track and trace. It's um it's a it's a mushrooming market in terms of the tech that's available. That's for sure. Nolan, final final question: If anyone would like to learn more about what you're doing with your school, or would perhaps like to connect with you, where's the best place that they can reach out? Thanks, James. Well, look, uh, you know, we have a website that we are constantly updating: nolanschoolofprocurements.com. Um, and if you go to the website, you can register with our school. And then, of course, you will uh, receive um, notifications about our free webinars that we run every Sunday. We call them Sunday Serious Skills Webinars. And uh, that takes place Australia time, East Coast time, 9 p.m. In the UK, it would probably be around noon, 12 p.m. Um, and we are a fully online school, um, you know, in the spirit of what we've been saying about reaching people in remote areas. So no matter where you live in the world, um, we are able to, uh, to, to bring you into our webinars and you can enjoy very low cost education um, through our school. And that, I think, is a very noble cause. Nolan, thank you so much for taking time to come and talk to me today. Uh, appreciate what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing. I think it really adds value to others that may otherwise not have been able to reach that level of education uh, in their profession. So uh, good luck to you in the future and uh, I hope it all, all goes well and continues to grow. Lovely to speak to you again, James. Thank you so much. And that concludes series three of the ProcureTech podcast. Thank you so much for being with us on the journey. We appreciate all of our listeners. If you did like this episode or indeed this series, then don't forget to subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcast player. We'll be back again in a few weeks' time with Series 4. Keep an eye out for that on our LinkedIn page or in our newsletter. We'll be sharing more details with that very, very soon. Until then, take care wherever you are in the world. Look after yourselves. See you soon and bye for now.